Hey, Puppet Pod listeners, Josh Rice here. I know it's been a while since we put out our last episode with Spencer Lott in January 2021, but we finally managed to get our act together and release episode 20, the final episode of the first season of The Puppet Pod, with a little help from Eric Wright and The Puppet Kitchen. This episode was recorded in June 2021 as part of an interview with Eric Wright on Puppet Time Online, a video podcast by The Puppet Kitchen. Special thanks to Eric, Katie, and Olga at The Puppet Kitchen for their permission to use this audio for The Puppet Pod. You can find out more at puppetkitchen.com or watch and listen to the 50-plus episodes of Puppet Time online on The Puppet Kitchen's YouTube channel. Without further ado, please enjoy this collaborative episode of The Puppet Pod via Puppet Time Online featuring an interview with me, Josh Rice, hosted by Eric Wright. everyone and welcome back to Puppet Time Online. I'm your host Eric Wright. Puppet Time Online is your chance to sit down with uh, some of the puppetry community's finest and me to find out what they know about. Um, As usual we're brought to you by the Puppet Kitchen uh, which does it all from designing and building to performing and coaching. Puppet Kitchen is your connection to amazing puppetry. Yes. Uh, Thanks. (laughs) I have Katie here, as always, running the show, keeping things uh, on track and running smoothly. I'm your Ed McMahon. Yeah. yeah. Give us a good Ed, M- Ed McMahon laugh, Katie. Uh, 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 uh. God, I it's like know. he's here. <laughs> so um, I, we want to hear from you during the show. If you have comments or questions for um, either me or my guest, make sure to put them down in the chat. We're on YouTube and Facebook Live and Twitch, I think. Um, so uh, be sure to chime in. Chime in. Katie will make sure that... Uh, we catch everything, and um, you can be a part of the show. Um, I'm really excited for our guest today. Um, not only is he a incredible theater maker and puppeteer, also a Sarah Lawrence alum, uh, he's a great teaching artist, also a fellow podcaster. I guess you could call what we do a little bit of a podcast. Um, well, we're not on pods. We're a vidcast. We're a vidcast. And, vi- and our guest today is an actual <laughs> podcaster. Uh, you can find his podcast, Puppet Pod, uh, wherever fine um, podcasts are found. Please welcome to the show today, Josh Rice. Hi, Josh. Yes, you are correct, sir. <laughs> so much better. I'm just doing a little Ed McMahon since you brought it up, you know. <laughs> What's up? How's it going? <laughs> uh, I'm doing great. I'm really happy to have you here. How Thanks. Are you? It's I'm good. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, and yeah, it's exciting to, to chat with you all today. So to get us started, and I'm sure you've answered this question a bunch of times, but we always like to start with how you got into puppetry. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you got here. Yeah. Uh, 
Casual interest growing up, of course, and a big fan of the Muppet show. My parents watched it growing up in the 80s. And, where, did, where did you grow up? Uh, in Perry, New York, a very tiny town in between Buffalo and Rochester where there are more cows than humans. Um, <laughs> so super rural, didn't know a theater was growing up. Um, but the Muppet show would come on and it was just to me like the most entertaining thing to see this like one character trying to like hold everybody together and like keep the show going and like even then i really kind of was like oh i want to be kermit the frog um and then i kind of went out of my world view because i just didn't really have any other avenues to see it other than you know uh commercial henson-y things mm-hmm. and then uh I got the chance to do, I worked in a children's theater for about seven years as a company member. So just constantly doing shows. And one of which was a puppet version of the ugly duckling, which was like my first chance at real like performance of puppetry in a show um, with like multiple runs and things. But even then we were just trying to figure it out as we went, you know, and it was a lot of like um, hand puppet work. Sure. And then uh, I came to grad school at Sarah Lawrence in 2012. And then you meet, you know, of course, Dan Herlin and Tom Lee and Lake Simons and this whole world of contemporary puppetry for adults and this whole history dating back 3000 years of puppetry comes into your world. And, you know, I was just transfixed. It was one of those moments where I don't know if you've felt this, Eric, but um you know, when you start to like do a thing, like I started like, you know, working a three person puppet, like Boon Raku style and dance class. And there was like this moment of intuitive knowing, like I, re- I recognize this. I don't, I'm learning this for the first time, but also like, I know this thing somehow, you know, and I was like a very physical performer in the first place. So I think to be able to find this other way of performing and especially one where, you become secondary, even tertiary to like the object, which is primary. That was really exciting for me, who was for years, you know, children's theater and like Shakespeare. So like large ass performance style to (laughs) something much smaller and like less about you was like amazing. So that's that's kind of the long story about my my puppet origin story. That's great. Okay, so the other thing that I'm, I'm always really curious about with our guests is now that you are in the puppetry community, what keeps you in puppetry? Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, it's certainly not the money. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the first things Dan, Dan tells you Like when you first get into it. He's like, I hope you're doing this because you love it because you're never going to make money doing it. Uh-huh. Um, you'll, you'll spend a lot though to make your tiny little show happen. Um, you know, I think it's one of the first things my dad is waving to me from my storefront windows. He's walking by outside. Um, one of the things I really loved about it, and I think I still love about it is I never felt like I was truly an artist until I started working on puppet works, because as you know, you're not just a puppeteer. It's like total making, you know, it's building and design and directing and dramaturgy and dance and visual art all combined into one thing. And, you know, when I finally got to get in the shop with Dan and like, you know, design a thing and measure it and cut it and paint it and then see how it worked with the puppet and, you know, tinker until it did work with the puppet. 
that's when I felt truly like, oh, this is what I feel like being an artist really is. Like, it's well-rounded and, you know, you're really doing all of it. And I think that's what keeps bringing me back even now is, you know, it it feels like it pushes me and stretches me in ways that I really like, you know, as a creator and as a maker, as a performer, as a director, you know, all of those things. And the magic of it, you know, like if for just that moment, you can believe that this object is actually breathing and alive, you know, it's one of those last forms of magic we still have in this like very digital, you know, screen world. Um, It's so nice to have that analog magic thing still. So um, I think those are those are the couple of reasons. That's great. I'm I'm really curious about, you know, you mentioned you were a really physical performer and and that puppetry was sort of your way into a, a more nuanced performance. I, I, also, I hear a lot that, you know, puppetry is great for shy kids or like people who never came out of their shell and they, they found their voice through puppetry. And I don't think you really hear a lot about people who maybe like you and me who are like big and bold and brash and like big physical performers who like really feel like their voice comes through an object. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, that, that transition and, and, you know, sort of diverting your like skills you learned as a performer into another object. Yeah. I think when I went to grad school at Sarah Lawrence, I was tired of acting and I felt like it just wasn't doing enough for me anymore. It also just felt like, I don't know. I felt I was, uh, it just was a selfish art form and I wasn't really like you know contributing much to to my community either um and I think I made the choice when I went to grad school to try to do as many different things and push myself to try new things as possible so some of that was like I'm not gonna be an actor anymore I'm gonna like really focus on other things because I've done that I'm also gonna try to find more design elements in in my work and then also figure out a little bit more theater outreach and how I can help people, you know, with this work. Uh And I think I became a better actor because of it. Um, Because again, Shakespeare, children's theater is so big. It's so physical. Um, And my performance style, I think, reflected that almost all the time. I also did a lot of improv too, which also tends to be pretty large. Sure. And puppetry, because you're asked to pull back so much, to not express with your own face, to not make any noise, to communicate with just your body, to make this one thing work so everybody else is doing the same thing with you um, at the same time, it really gave me more understanding of nuance and that you can do so much more with so much less. And, you know, it's economy of movement, right? I think in puppetry, we know that if it gets too cluttered or if there's like extra things, it's not clear to the audience what we're trying to express with that gesture or that movement. And that then translating to me again as a performer that is front and center and primary, you know, saying words and moving around a stage, the ability to lean into nuance more, like... I hate to think that it, you know, took me, you know, 15 years into my career to find that, but I think it's true, you know, it's and a really and, hard thing to do. I think a lot of people underestimate how difficult it is to do n- n- almost nothing on stage. 
Yeah, and it's captivating, right? Yeah. We can watch a puppet breathe and be entranced, and that's all it's doing. And or sit down and stand up, like and it's fascinating, right? So how can I make that also similarly interesting? Uh-huh. Um, you know, you don't have to do so much because the word and the costume and the choreo and the set and the lights, they do so much already. And, you know, it's bringing that filmic quality to performance. I think that puppetry does a really nice job of. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I think in those ways, like it really helped. And I actually got to teach a class in this at the University of Rochester. They have this incredible international theater program. And I got to teach a workshop on uh, puppetry for performers, for people that are primarily actors, how can you transition or take translate some of these uh, ideas in puppetry performance and then put them on your work as a as an actor later That's on? That's interesting. Yeah. Um, do you feel like your like your training as a physical performer changed how you thought about how to approach puppetry? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I have to admit, like, I never really had a traditional theater training. I didn't go to a conservatory. I just kind of took, like, a bunch of classes in a bullshit-titled liberal arts degree to graduate in four (laughs) years. Um, So I was, like, really interested in so many things, but I didn't have, like, you know, your basics up to the higher-level courses to then this and this and this. You know, I was just really, like doing it. I just did shows. I worked in a company. It was that work in the children's theater that really was like my real training. And that's where I got to like figure out how to make a character from the outside in, you know, how to really like get into it through movement first and physicality. So in translating that to puppetry, yeah, like one of the things that I really love is like figuring out the body mechanics um, about how I sit down mm-hmm. or, you know, someone else in the room on your puppet team sits mm-hmm. and how then to make the puppet best do it based on what it can biomechanically do, right. you know, and how it's engineered. Um, and then what we want it to look like, you know, within the story or, or whatever we're doing. Yeah. Um, so being able to approach it in that way, that kind of kinesthetic understanding of movement was really exciting for me. And like I had mentioned earlier, like a thing that I, you know, somehow new, um, but to, you know, have the one-to-one of like Dan Herlin say, watch this person run around outside in the, <laughs> you know, the quad of Sarah Lawrence. Right. And then really understand where weight is being placed and yeah. balance is. And then how do you then go back inside, grab the object and make it do that same way of running? Yeah. That to me was like so exciting. That's really cool. I noticed that a lot of the performances that you do a lot of shows that you're a part of use that boon rocker style or tabletop technique mm-hmm. is there something do you think there's something that draws you to that style in particular you know i think part of it is having never seen it before and like really getting introduced to puppetry in like a real way as a manipulator or performer mm-hmm. you know it was just like the thing that i, I gravitated to it was hard mm-hmm. you know Tabletop puppetry is difficult Mm -hmm. and it requires so much coordination with your fellow puppeteers, but also like that uh, thing that um, handspring puppetry talks about. They like give that list of like 
you know, 13 rules for puppetry and one of which is puppetry is pain. And, you know, for any like people that have done it, you know, you're asked to like stand in a very difficult position holding an object and make sure that it stays alive and you don't drop that thing and you hold that position with your arm extended for X amount of time to your own physical expense (laughs) at times. (laughs) And being able to like endure that in a way that you can continually do it throughout a performance run to me is exciting. Like I love that kind of like... Challenge. I don't know, challenge, yeah, an exercise and use of my body, mm-hmm. you know, in those ways. If it bothers you, then how do I find a, a smarter way? How do I, you know, rely on some of the Alexander training from grad school sure. to like figure out how to do that and not hurt later? Yeah. Um, you know, economy of movement and economy of, you know, uh, body use, I guess, um, in order to be a longstanding performer. Um, because then you hear the stories of like Tom Lee on warhorse and like and and many of those puppeteers who had physical therapists there and masseuses there ready to like help them out so they could run a show for that we have physical therapists on 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 call for little shop too like yeah it's a it should be i think an essential part of any long-running you know production with puppetry Mm -hmm. yeah those i mean like that warhorse especially is just like such an incredibly physically demanding show in ways that you wouldn't expect because the movements are novel you know like the movement the re- repetitive movement on yeah. an actor's body is you know novel well i i thought you know in addition to watching the muppets growing up i watched a lot of professional wrestling nice. and part of that was because i love the physical feats of it i still uh-huh. do like I, I i think professional wrestling is like absurdist theater at its finest Sure. Um, and the physical feats of athleticism are so interesting to me. And I was never like particularly sporty, but theater has been an outlet for athletic feats yeah. for me. And puppetry, I feel like, is similarly that where you're really extending your body to, you know, pull off a very precise thing. Right. And, you know, I always thought it would be really fun to like create a, a workout based in puppetry for people who have no idea like what we do because you could really like put them through the ringer to like yeah. make sure you hit this particular spot in this particular moment and then you hold it and then extend this and then you know it's like core work and arm work and leg work and like all of these things um but you know it, it's again like responding to that physical desire you know in some ways of like wanting to be an athlete but not really being a traditional one in a sense but you know a physical performer i feel like is that in so many ways and you know anybody that watches like Cirque stuff you could see those performers are athletes for sure absolutely now in addition to being a a performer you know you are and, and a theater maker you, you are producer. You make all of, you, you know, you're responsible for the Shake on the Lake um, Festival and the New York State uh, Puppet Festival um, upstate. How do you, like, how do you make that, trans- what, what was your transition from performer mm. to producer? I guess it started when I first moved to Arkansas, which was in, <laughs> I know, everybody goes to make it big in theater in Arkansas. <laughs> uh, that old chestnut you know he has a classic old tale um 
But when I first went down there in 2004, you know, I had a full contract to do nothing but make theater for 10 months, right? So I was like, yeah, I'll take it. Having no idea how long I'd ever be there. But in knowing that I was going down there, you know, I was really into improv comedy and kind of worked with the equity theater up here in Rochester for a while and knew when I went down there, like I wanted to find a group, but there wasn't one. So I had to figure out how to start one, how to find a theater, how to promote it, how to, you know, run a bank, how to run front of house, you know, all of the things. And that was kind of like my first real kind of producing, um, experience, um, just kind of doing it on my own. I wanted the thing. So I decided to make the thing, you know, and my mom kind of always taught me that, you know, if you're not happy where you are, you know, do what you need to do to make yourself happy, make it happen. You know, Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like this cheesy Hallmark slogan, but she always said, bloom where you are planted. And uh, I always kind of carried that with me, you know? So when 2012 rolled around, um, I was getting ready to go to grad school. I also wanted to find a way to be able to come home and perform, you know, on this like beautiful lake that we have that I grew up on. And there was like this natural sloping lawn down to the lake with an expansive view. It was like a natural amphitheater. So it's like, cool. I want to perform here. I want to be home more. Let's make a show. Let's do outdoor Shakespeare festival. That's what I knew. Um, So, again, it's learning like, oh, right, you have to learn how to write grants. You have to remember to buy porta potties for public events. You got to have insurance. You got to figure out how to write contracts. You know, then you become a nonprofit and then you got to have a board and then you have to learn Robert's rules to, you know, run a board meeting. It's like endless things. But the joy of that too is, you know, you are answering to yourself ultimately in your community, you know, the other artists that you're providing work for who are achieving the vision you have for your community. And with the puppet festival, you know, that was just kind of an extension of all these things whereby we were offered a really generous grant to take over an abandoned storefront here on our main street in Perry, you know, typical like, 90s story of small town America where the main street empties out and there's like, you know, not much going on. And one of the goals of this grant program was to bring artists back to the local area and take over some of these like main street buildings and bring them to life. And, you know, I never really wanted a theater space necessarily. And shake was itinerant for ever up until 2017. Right. So then we got this grant, but I knew that if we were going to get the grant, I also knew that part of that money I wanted to use to start a puppet festival. And uh, we, you know, again, in the producing of it, right, you figure out what you need in order to make a puppet show happen, right, which is ideally light control because Shake on the Lake is all outdoors and natural light. So, like, indoors, cool, we get some light control. We need some uh, projectors for for some of the performances. We need chairs. We need, you know, a Marley floor. And then you figure out how to, like, find all that stuff. And then curating the performances and performers that you think can help make this a success, right? So, like, calling in all of your biggest favors to, like, Dan Herlin. Dan, can I put up a retrospective of your work at our gallery? 
right. Tom and his wife, Lisa Gonzalez. Tom Lee, would you come and like put on this piece that you and Lisa have been working on? Um, to, you know, Koryu Nishikawa the fifth, this fifth generation Japanese puppet master that I got to the pleasure of working with with Tom Lee. Be right. like, Sensei, would you come to my tiny town all the way from Japan and do what you do, right? So when you get those people on board, it's not hard to sell. Sure. And then you can figure out how you can get the funding. Thankfully, we had this grant. We found some other grant funding. And then you're off to the races while also hopefully providing yourself space to make your own work in the process, which tends to get lost in all of this production stuff, right? Sure. Um, you know, you get so caught up with doing everything that you forget about the thing that really got you there in the first place is you're an artist and you make work. So how do you find that balance between the two? And that is a continual struggle. I think for me is, um, knowing that there are people far more talented to like bring the butts to the seats, so to speak. Um, but also finding ways that I can still like fulfill that need of mine to like express and to create and to make. And hopefully it doesn't feel like, you know, too grandstandy of the producer also putting up the producer's work, <laughs> you know, like how do you find that balance too? Of Cause course. you never want to take advantage of that thing. So um, it's been really interesting to cultivate that. And I think a lot of it too was, you know, it's hard to make work in New York, right. And you got to plug away for at least 10 years, you know, unless you're real lucky before people start to really notice what you're doing. And this was a really nice chance to bring something to a place that, you know, is very rural here. We're in between Buffalo, Rochester. It's a town of 3,500. Um, but this place can really use an event like this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm also learning about economic development and rural development and creative placemaking, this idea that you can bring people to a place by putting on an event and you make it something and then everything else in the town benefits, right? The local brewery, the wine bar, the restaurants, um, the hotels, the B&Bs, you know, whatever, right? And It's I almost as if arts are essential to a place, uh, you know, the success of a location. Oh, you know, it's so interesting. <laughs> interesting thoughts. Yeah. Novel in some ways. Like, you know, so strange. It's very weird. But, you know, that, that was never something I thought of, you know, in, in yeah. getting into puppetry, that that's what you would be doing eventually is like helping your town. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of what's been really lovely about being in this rural area, which I'm here part of the time and I'm in Brooklyn some of the time, sure. um, is that we're bringing things to a place that can really use it. New York doesn't need another puppet festival, you know, but Perry certainly can use an idea like this. And thankfully, people came. So that's uh -huh. good, too. How do the, I mean... In that it is in such a small place, you must have a much, much more immediate feedback from the people who, like, from the town, are, like, what's the response to people bringing, like, did you have to, was there any explaining that you had to do that it was like, it's a theater festival, but it's a puppet festival, and it's going to be great, X, Y, and Z, or, like, were people on board with it right from the beginning? I think some of the initial funders were. They were, the on board with it. they were on board with it because I think they saw the potential, right? We had proof of concept of Shake on the Lake earlier. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had always been kind of like finding moments to like insert puppetry into like The Tempest, you know, when we would do it, you know, or, you know, Midsummer Night's Dream or something like that. Oh, yeah. I think we have a picture of that also. Yeah. Um, so 
there was like a there it is uh there's a midsummer in the puppets there um from left are what is that peace blossom mustard seed and cobweb and titania right so this way of like showing people that here's what this can look like you know uh-huh. eventually um, so you kind of give them that little, like, you know, that moose-bouche of puppetry <laughs> in the hopes that, you know, eventually they're ready for the meal of puppetry, yep. you know, which is this giant festival. But for audiences, I think part of what we did, similar to when we started Shake, was like, how do you ease them in? Like, you don't just throw them Henry the Fourth part one, right? Like, they're not going to get it, nor do I want to fucking make that, you know? I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you introduce it with something fun, like a comedy of errors, right? It's physical. It's big. It's silly. People can understand how that show works, right? Or a Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, similarly to Puppetry, it's like, come see this opening exhibition of Dan's work. That was the first event that we had. And then we showed the documentary Puppet. Yeah. Which is like the documentary about Dan's making of a show that you worked on, right? Dis Farmer. And, um, you know, how that worked, the process of making it work. So people can really see like, oh, that's what that three foot puppet does in action, right? Because, you know, a puppet on display is different from a puppet in action, right? A puppet is made to move. So you get to see what it's supposed to do. You're seeing a real process. You're seeing that it is a big deal because Dan's reviewed in the New York Times, right? And these like really incredible puppeteers are making it come to life. So the community now is like, oh, okay, now I see what this is. I'm ready to engage with the other things that you're about to to show us, right? And, you know, puppetry is a little weird. I think we all recognize that in some ways. Um, it's a but fair, fair thing to say. Yeah, but weird in ways that we like, right? That we celebrate yeah. weird. And yeah. how do you get the audience to also celebrate that same sort of like different performance uh, style, quality, form? And, you know, you have shadow and that's what we showed them. We showed them, you know, projection and live feed miniatures. We showed them dance and puppetry talking together. You know, we showed them more traditional narratives. We showed them non-linear narratives, you know, all of the different things that exist in this world of contemporary puppetry for adults, but also like shows for kids. And people came out, you know, we drew in 10 days, we drew 2,300 people to a town of 3,500. That's incredible. (laughs) So, you know, for us, that is like a big win and a big success and proof that it does work. Right. And all of our fellow businesses, you know, that we really love, like the local brewery are like, thank you. People came after the show and then they talked about the thing and they bought beer and it was awesome. And, you know, on down the line for the local businesses. So, um, I think, again, you hope that people are going to buy into it. Same with any show you make, right? You you know it's good. You believe in it. You you do it with conviction. And you hope that the audience responds, you know, to yeah. that conviction. Because if nothing else, they'll feel your passion for it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, do you feel like you're... Do you feel like being a theater maker, or more specifically being a puppeteer, had had an influence on how you thought about being a producer? Hmm. You know, I hadn't, I haven't actually ever thought about that. That's a really great question. Um, I think now, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think before, you know, it's like, (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like remembering when I wanted to be Kermit. Holding it all together. <laughs> I was going to say. That's what it's like, really, right? You're like trying to it's keep everybody like cool, you know, like keeping the divas cool. You're trying to keep, you know, Gonzo from blowing up the stage or whatever. Um, there's a lot of that, really. Like, that's when I feel like the most like puppetry is like interweaving in this world. You know, I'm doing my best to hold it all together and like pull back as much as I can and let everybody else go forward and like, you know, uh, celebrate these incredible artists and give them what they need and uh, hopefully making them comfortable and um, fulfilled at the same time and feeling like they also have ownership in this thing. So that that's kind of mostly how I feel as a producer is is like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> but also, I guess, like, similarly, it's this idea, too, of, like, taking a, a backseat to it. You know, how do you let the thing be the thing and you are, you know, over here, way on the side. So hopefully, like, we're celebrating what you're seeing on stage. You know, these artists that are graciously giving their time to come to this rural place. Um, and, you know, me getting to step back, which is like a real luxury too, right? I, I don't have to like wear the performer hat and all these other hats at the same time now. I can maybe just do the producer hat and that yeah. feels great too, you know? For for my my life, it feels really great and my sanity and my my girlfriend, you know? Yeah, like right. I get to be around and, and not yeah. working all the time. So um, that, that's been really nice too is this like secondary focus on myself, you know, as a, as a producer. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the other things that you have also produced um, relatively recently is this puppet podcast, the Puppet Pod. Yeah. Uh, which you guys have now, I think, almost 20 episodes. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. we. Um, I wanted to do a podcast for a long time. I just didn't yes. know like what exactly it would be on. And because <clears throat> we had to postpone the 2020 New York State Puppet Festival, uh-huh. we wanted to figure out a way that we could still create some sort of content and this was a great moment to you know pivot and figure out how to make a podcast work and talk to some of these incredible artists that have shaped me over the years that I've gotten to know over the years to get to know for the first time and you know figure out how to make it interesting and translate you know uh, as you are you well know how do you make a an art form that is primarily visual work in this auditory way or in like a YouTube channel way. Right. Um, cause we have to rely so much on description to hopefully get people there, but also you're talking to other people that are like you, right. Multi hyphenate makers who like get being producer, director, designer, performer, you know, and that's been really awesome is to really dig into, other people's process and how they, you know, get to this place of making puppet shows. Yeah. Do you focus the show in any particular, like, are you consciously focusing the show in any particular place like process or just, or like getting to know the people individually? You know, I think it's a little bound, a bit of a balance of both of those things. Um, you know, we always start with, um, uh, I think puppetry, you know, is, and they fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And then uh, another Dan Herlinism, you know, when you're in a process with Dan, he'll often look at you and say, puppetry is hard. <laughs> and it is. And getting people to fill in the blank of that, right? Which is yeah. puppetry is hard because, you know, 
And then you get into like the conversation, which is like, what is your puppet origin story? Yeah. How do you identify as an artist, as a puppeteer? Because often a lot of, I think, puppet theater makers aren't just puppeteers, right? They would consider themselves a, a multi-hyphenate of something, right? Yeah. And then, you know, why they are interested in this form and why they make the work that they make and getting into, you know, maybe a specific show or something they're working on currently. Um, and that's really exciting to me too, is kind of letting the conversation, having like your five questions that, you know, you want to try to dig into with this particular artist, but also leaving room for it to just kind of organically flow, which has been really nice. And I had to learn a little bit more of like letting the conversation lead you, which for some people like is awesome and will organically happen. And then there are other people you maybe have to like pull a little bit more out of. Yeah. So that was a really good skill to learn too, as an interviewer. Like, how do I make this person look great? Yeah. What do you, I was just going to say, like, how do you feel like the show has changed over, over the mm. course of these 19 episodes? I think I'm pushing less, you know, <laughs> similarly, like as a performer, you know, you're, you're really trying to like maybe sometimes push a little too hard to get the response that you need and, you know, realizing like, oh, right, you know, people are going to just receive this at home and you're not going to get a response unless they reply on social media. So how do you not overwhelm them by screaming at them <laughs> through the <laughs> microphone um, or, you know, whatever else I, I might rely on is like my, my pushing behaviors. So, um, you know, finding that balance, too, is like, all oh, right, how do I, you know, find this puppetry zen in, in even interviewing people about puppetry? Did you... When you started up a podcast, was there, like, did you do any research? Did you, like, do any active, like, learning about, hey, how do I make this, you know, this particular version of bringing people together as good as it can be? Yeah, I thankfully, I, I worked with a really great um, producer, uh, Sarah Stabley, who is kind of like my co-host. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she very quickly learned, you know, editing software and how to put this together. And we knew we needed a theme song, which yours is awesome, by the way. Like, I really enjoyed grooving out while I was in the, the waiting room the before we started. The singer and the big little. It's so good. Um, so finding like a similar one and like trying to give them a feel of like, you know, I want it to sound kind of like comedy bang, bang, but not really like comedy bang, bang. Sure. Um, and then also knowing too, like I wanted the banter of, me and a co-host, mm -hmm. you know, and making it not just me. And how do you kind of have that back and forth? Um, how do you break up the segments, you know, and listening to other podcasts? Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend is kind of like a, a, a big one that we, we model some of our stuff after. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, like, how do you create, like, a little bit of, like, play in it, too, which is the puppet hot pot, the thing we do at the very end where we do, like, rapid-fire series of questions and how do you answer them in a rapid fire way so you know just kind of like pulling from your favorites and you know like we do with most art right you you, you steal everything and hope to make it something uh relatively different with your own style you know laid yeah. upon it do you the, in that same vein when you you know you mentioned that there was a lot of when you're becoming a producer like putting things together were there resources that you drew on to figure out how to be a producer or like how to get started? Like the things that just finding out the things that you need. To yeah. 
I, I know there was a lot of that for, for the public, for me in running a business, just like doing research on how to put a business together was a, you know, a big learning curve. Yeah. Um, 100%. I was wondering like what, what you use to sort of help get better at being a producer. Uh, Sarah had incredible resources through, um, the equity theater in Rochester, Jiva theater center. Mm-hmm. Um, so relying on sound designers there to kind of give us some best practices on, on podcasting, um, you know, just deep Google dives into like microphones that are, are going to really work and yeah. the best kind of editing equipment. And then how do you record on a zoom Mm-hmm. and take the audio in a way that sounds, you know, not so like you're underwater all the time and <laughs> fairly, you know, clean. Um, and, you know, a lot of that's trial and error, right? We thought we had like a secondary, you know, recording software that worked better and it turned out it didn't. Um, so you just kind of try it and you see what happens. And, you know, I think as people listen over the course of 19 episodes, you can kind of hear us figuring it out and, some days it's really clean and good, and sometimes you really hear that fan in the 95-degree Brooklyn basement that I live in, um, cooling you down. Um, and While you say that, there's a lawnmower outside. Our- <laughs> right, 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 exactly, yeah. right? Um, or your dad walks by the storefront window that you're sitting next to, right, in the little tiny town you live in. Um, but I think, too, we were really lucky to get some funding from Dixon Place. Oh, yeah, um, and, and Dixon Place was a co-producer of the Puppa Pod. Um, so we were really thankful that they were able to provide some funding so we could also, you know, not only pay Sarah for all of the work that she was doing and then our other eventual um, editor and producer, Josh Marks, um, but also the artists. We were able to give them, like, a little, you know, stipend for appearing, which was something that Dixon Place was really... Um, excited uh, that we were able to to do. They were really excited that we could pay people something during a pandemic for um, their time, which you know I am such a proponent of as well. So it was really nice to get paid to have a podcast, which you know <laughs> we haven't gotten that Squarespace deal yet, um, <laughs> but maybe one day, you know. Yeah, still working on stamps.com. <laughs> <laughs> or like you know, we were thinking about like who are the puppetry supply companies that you really want like yeah and get them to do an ad or canal rubber yeah or like 3m or you know <laughs> scotch tape or yeah. you know ulfa knife brand or like whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 exactly makers of fine boxes and <laughs> for all your puppet needs <laughs> Katie, did you have a question you wanted to pop well, in there? Well, you were just talking about your dad walking by. Um, yeah. And I, I thought it was uh, timely uh, to point out that Eric's dad is commenting on the podcast. Yeah. Hey! What's up, Mr. Wright? I thought about that there should be an organization called P- POP, Parents of Puppeteers. Yeah, we've talked about POP before. Um, yeah. How, is, your dad wanna, is your dad interested in um, being a parent of a puppeteer? You know, I am, I am so thankful my parents have been supportive of all of the things I've done in my life. I'm really lucky in that way. You know, no matter how out of their worldview any of this work I've ever done is, and they come to New York and they see shows, you know, and then some of them are like very narrative based. Some of them are like very abstract, right? God bless them. They're there for it. And... 
One of my favorite moments is like my mom comes to see Dan Hurlins demolishing everything with amazing speed. Very abstract puppet piece. And my mom said, you know what? This, of all the things you did, was my favorite. I loved the story. And I was like, this was the one where story got you. Interesting move, Mary Rice. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think my parents would be totally in uh, to be supportive of this because they always have been. There's demolishing right there. Um, yeah. Uh, Short haired baby Josh down there in the, the bottom right. Um but yeah, it was just so funny to be like, oh, that's where narrative got you in Dan's piece? Interesting. Right. Interesting. Right. Your parents have a, a depth yet unplumbed in their... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I just, Jessica's chimed in. Greg, Hi, if you're Jess. still watching, we've got a Phoenix chapter apparently started. Okay, great. So yeah. Jess's mom, Spencer Lott's mom. Okay, great. Great. Well, clearly my dad is already... <laughs> It's almost like a support group in some ways. I mean, it must be. <laughs> oh, your son's a puppeteer. Okay, I so understand. There's so few people in the world that understand what you've gone through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel, I, you know, you you do a ton of work as a teaching artist as well. Mm-hmm. What what's your um, like? How do you approach? How do you approach the teaching of this thing that you're learning about? Mm. How do you, I mean, I, you know, when I, when I started as a teaching artist, I sort of was like recycling lessons that I had learned from Dan and sort yeah. of like starting in there. But I wonder like what, where, where do you go? Cause you've done teaching artists quite a bit in your, yeah. in your career. Yeah. How do you, I'm, I'm always really curious. How do you get good at that? How do you develop that? Ooh, yeah, a lot of practice, a lot of failure. <laughs> uh, you know, how do you um, how do you create a positive learning environment for students to do the same? Practice and fail. Um, and hope that they're encouraged enough to keep trying and that, you know, they're as interested in it because you have enthusiasm about it. And, you know, I think I've always tried to espouse to my students that I'm not an expert. I'm definitely going to make mistakes along the way, you know, um, but please ask questions. And if I don't know the answer, I'll find it for you, you know, and allowing myself to have that latitude um, as a, as a teacher, but learner with them, I think has really been a useful uh, approach. Mm-hmm. I think early on, early teaching artist days when I was very young, you know, like 23 and like, running a classroom of young students who are, you know, maybe five or six years younger than me, you know, feeling like I had to know everything and you have to listen and you have to try. And it's like, that's not a good way to teach. And that's not how to get people to really like work with you because it's a collaboration, right? Right. Um, You know, basic rules of improv are like, yes, and, you know, what's happening in the room. And as a teacher, you have to do that. Mm -hmm. And then also make your partner look good, right? Your job is to make the students look great. Mm -hmm. And if they get it and they have that aha moment, then they make you look good, right? And then there's that constant feedback loop of yes, anding and making each other look good. And then I think you have a productive learning environment. Um, So similar to you, you know, it's recycling Dan lessons, 
recycling Tom lessons, recycling Lake Simon's lessons, uh, and then figuring out how to best uh, allow students to, you know, learn it and figure it out. And then always allowing yourself to, you know, let the students change your lesson plan um, based on their needs. And, you know, I was very lucky to get into the New Victory Teaching Artist Ensemble, thanks to our friend Spencer Lott, um, early on in my, my career in New York and learning their approach in a team teaching style, which I really appreciated um, being able to jump in on and be a part of and, you know, approaching lessons in a way where um, your fellow ensemble members and collaborators can, you know, help it grow and, you know, allow the students to really experience the full breadth of whatever that form is and, and really celebrate art form, but also play and also community accessibility, all these things that the arts at their best are doing. Um, so I've, I've been lucky to, you know, learn from them and just keep getting opportunities. And, you know, I'm thankful for universe, uh pre-K opportunities to university opportunities to working with seniors, which is some of my favorite work I've ever done is um, a puppetry program with seniors with Alzheimer's and dementia and, you know, working with them to make and build and, you know, hone fine motor and practice fine motor again, but also the socialization in the room and, you know, short-term memory gains come back and then seeing them perform and getting adulation from an audience and achievements um, recognition and like it's huge and you know that's across the board from pre-k to you know the most senior k right yeah. <laughs> like people people need those things and yeah. and that that's been really um a good lesson too as a teacher do you find that different age groups dif- respond to different parts of puppetry or different aspects of putting on puppet shows yeah uh, what what are your like what are you what were some surprises in that you found in that in that regard i think for certainly young learners just simple delight you know of mm-hmm. a thing comes to life and so much easier to give yourself over to that belief mm-hmm. um as a younger person i think and then for university learners university level age learners um they really get into like oh, it's the nitty-grittiness of a form with a history and the making of it. And, like, you know, there's, like, such enthusiasm if they have that buy-in to, like, your your enthusiasm about this puppet form. For seniors, I found it was the making, you know? Like, at first, I think a lot of them were, like, puppetry, I'm not a kid. And then they get in the room, and then they start to, like, sculpt and paint and then their imagined design is in front of them you know and in full form and then they start to work it and you know i thought you would have to teach puppetry form you know to to seniors in the same way that sometimes you do to young people but you know you never forget how to play and you know as long as you're encouraging people to play and especially like the senior group I mean, they, that never goes away. You know, you put your thing on and you, you know, put a voice on it and you engage and, you know, you tell stories and you, you don't have to worry about eyeline or, or breath or like, you know, those things that we really focus on, I think, in like really 
uh, or certain types of puppetry processes. Whereas in this room of like seniors who have memory difficulty, just give them the thing and a voice and they move it around and they make it come to life as well as like anyone else in a different process. So sure. that, that's been really encouraging too, to watch them respond to those moments. Yeah. That's great. That's that's really. I mean, I love hearing about that sense of play that that really stands stays with you. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I think a lot of people really either forget it or they feel like it's not necessary. Yeah, you know, they feel like they shouldn't be developing that muscle. That they shouldn't be developing a sense of play. And and it's you know such an important skill to hang on to through you know throughout your life and to like keep that going because it's so. It's so energizing, you know. Yeah, we're professionals and we approach the work professionally, but man, gotta have a sense of play, I think, <laughs> in all of it, right? Like, yeah. gosh, otherwise, you know, we're just so serious and that's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> that's not fun to be around. It's not fun to be in a room with. Yeah. Do you feel like, just this is my last question, like right at the end of all of this, but do you feel like, as a producer now uh, of festivals and of a podcast and as a teaching artist, how do you, you also still make your own work. You also mm -hmm. maintain that design and build and performance aspect. I'm usually really curious about how, you know, puppetry influences those other aspects of your life. But I'm, I'm also now, especially with you really curious as how those other aspects of your life influence your, your performance or influence your puppetry. How does being a producer make your puppet shows different or make your the work that you or the stories that you want to tell different? I think there's a little bit more freedom in a certain way, you know, like especially if you're self-producing something like, you know, maybe there isn't as much uh, like worry about someone liking it to get to the next stage of its life, you know, in, in development, whatever that might be. Um, so there's a little bit of like ease, which is really nice. Um, but I also think, you know, you have a little more tendrils into the world as a producer to call upon your talented artist friends to like come support and be a part of an ensemble. So again, you're not all on your own anymore. Yeah. And I'm lucky in that way, I think, to be able to do that. And I think there's something about really understanding more about what you like, you know, as a curator, as a producer, and why you're responding to those things to bring them to where you are to produce them or to talk to these artists or whatever it is that you respond to um, as an artist. And then remembering that that's how you make too, is you're influenced by all of the things that you really like and are trying to ingest and the histories where they come from and you know, the fact that, I don't know, uh, puppetry is so image-based and remembering like, oh, right, that's how I started as a children's theater performer was like, right. I have to physically know how I walk right. to or look like in order to make it work, yeah. right? And that's like puppetry, right? It's like, I have an image for a thing. It's not a story per se, but I know what it looks like. I'm going to chase that image and then hopefully you get a series of them and then you put them together and then there's now through line, hopefully, maybe, um, but trusting to, you know, that 
the images can be enough and maybe you're not relying on uh, the verbal and it's a little more nonverbal or, you know, uh, a little more nonlinear as opposed to linear or, or whatever it might be. But I, yeah. I, I find the freedom of following the image to be really uh, lovely as well. And I think part of that producing background. That's great. I love that. And I, you know, I'm super excited to see the other things that you come up with. And, and I'm really excited when people are, like you said, the like the multi-hyphenate, facet of our puppetry community is I think one of the best parts where we can have people like you that are making space for people and making stories and making, you know, making shows that they believe in and that that all relates to, you know, that all relates to itself. Um, so I want to say thank you again for being on the show. It's really great having you here. Um, and, uh, and hopefully we'll get a talk again soon. Eric, I appreciate your time to today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for all you do to help prop up the puppetry community. Um, it's, it's really cool to, you know, be amongst like a generation of puppeteers, right, that have like other generations prior to them, right? So we have our Dan Herlins who are yeah. like, you know, you guys, do you know who Eric Wright is? You should know who Eric Wright is. <laughs> and it's like, okay, cool. I got to learn who Eric Wright is. Um, and, you know, to like be on your show is like pretty cool for me, like in that way of like, you know, a generation to another one and to another yeah. one. Like it's cool to like see how we all kind of tie in together in our very small community, but a community nonetheless. And you keep expanding so i appreciate um being invited into your community and thank you katie too for uh having me here today as well i appreciate it you're welcome i'm, I'm sad that dan didn't say do you guys know who katie denny is <laughs> <laughs> i'm working on it I'll, I'll make sure to send him that <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll harass him in that way too hopefully he'll, yeah, he'll yeah, figure yeah. that out he's gonna go who <laughs> yeah <laughs> i feel like that's what he says about me josh who yeah. what yeah. okay <laughs> uh, man. Josh, thanks again so much for being here. <laughs> thanks, Eric. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. <laughs> well, thanks again, everyone, for uh, being here for another Puppet Time Online. If you want to, uh, another huge thanks to our guest, Josh Rush. Check out more of what he's doing at joshrushprojects.com. You can find more of the Puppet Kitchen's work at our website and follow us on Instagram. Uh, of course, we're here on YouTube, so be sure to like and subscribe. Um, and you can support this show on our new Patreon page um, where you can help us bring more great guests like Josh uh, to the show. The Puppet Pod, hosted by Josh Rice and me, Sarah Stabley. Produced and engineered by also me, Sarah Stabley. Additional editing by Josh Marks. Theme song and incidental music by Seth Horgolzia. Additional music by Hazar and Scott Holmes. Executive produced by Dixon Place and the New York State Puppet Festival, a program of Shake on the Lake and Josh Rice Projects. Support is provided by Dixon Place, the Jim Henson Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Arts Council for Wyoming County Community Arts Grant. This decentralization program is made possible in part with funds from the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of Governor Andrew Cuomo and the New York State Legislature, administered in Wyoming County by the Arts Council for Wyoming County. To make donations, please visit shakeonthelake.org or dixonplace.org. For more information about the artists featured on our podcast, please visit www.thepuppetpod.com. <laughs>